War and peace, I, I think they're binaries. I, I don't think you can contemplate the one without the other. Yes, isn't that the, the giant question? Uh, mm, depends. Credo che bisognerebbe prima chiedersi se sia possibile la pace dentro me stessi. Yes, peace on earth, if there's unity in all of us. Ik ben bang van niet. Het zit in de aard van de mens om oorlog te maken. Yes. L'impression que tant qu'il y aura des hommes, il n'y aura jamais de paix. Fysica est inefficiente. Theoretically, of course, it's possible, but practically, I think it's not. It's hard. Nothing Las opiniones humanas nos llevan a discutir y dejar de pelear en parte sería perder nuestra humanidad. Sí, siempre. No. Prima pensate a far pace con mi madre e me y poi pensamos a la pace del mundo. As long as people they can get together, there will be peace and harmony. Yes, possible. Everything depends I don't think so. Too many egos, too many people, too many weapons. If love is equally distributed to all of the world, Peace can be shared. If there's peace, you're preparing for war. And if there's war, you're fighting for peace. Well, isn't that cool? Say yes. I'm not going to agree. Well, good morning and welcome to Hope. My name is Ashley. I'm one of the campus pastors here. It's so good to be here with you this morning. I really like that video, um, Is Peace on Earth Possible? The National Geographic Channel did um, kind of like a series about five years ago, and that was one of uh, the episodes. And we're in this Lenten sermon series. We're wrapping it up this weekend because can you believe next weekend is Palm Sunday? Easter's almost here, which is just really exciting. Uh, but we're wa wrapping up this sermon series, A Deeper Walk with Jesus, and we get to talk about peace this morning. And I'm not sure about you, but I'm not... I haven't really felt that much peace in my life recently. Uh, there's a lot of circumstances that have contributed to that, uh, but often we preach on things that we ourselves are working on. So for the last couple weeks, I thought, oh man, I got to preach on peace. How am I supposed to talk about peace? If you didn't know, I'm a brand new mom. We have uh, Tyler and I, we have a three-month-old. Here he is. This is Paxton. And there are moments of peace in my household. Like when he smiles at you, right? Like you look at that face and it's just a moment that transcends time. You're like, that is just the most powerful, cutest, stinking thing in the world. Or when he's sleeping soundly. Did you know babies like don't sleep that soundly most of the time? Like they're really loud sleepers and I'm a really light sleeper. So really when I say I'm not experiencing that much peace, I'm really being honest. But there are moments when he is really asleep and you look at that face and you just think, oh, now that's a moment that transcends time. That's peace. It was on Valentine's Day. We were trying to take cute Valentine's Day pictures. He was like not even two months old here. And uh, 
he was like, okay, for one second. We're like, yeah, we're doing okay. We put on our red outfits. And then literally seconds later, I have a screaming baby. Yeah, this is how, this is how my life is. <laughs> this is how my life is right now. Just there's kind of a lack of peace and it's okay. But my life is not characterized by peace. And literally in the world around us, we're not really living in a state of peace, are we? There is an actual war happening in Ukraine right now. For the last two years, we have been in this pandemic. Uh, we've learned to live with COVID, and it hasn't felt peaceful. It was always changing. It was always scary. Uh, there's just been a kind of lack of peace in the world. And so I ask you this morning, when is the last time you experienced peace? Not a momentary peace, not a, you know just looking at a smiling baby peace, but when is the last time you experienced reverent peace? You just knew everything was going to be okay. This powerful peace that just washes over you, it's really unexplainable. When is the last time you actually felt that? A peace you could hold on to and tell other people about. Uh, you heard in our gospel reading, Mark chapter 4, how Jesus calms a storm. In the middle of an actual storm, Jesus stands up and he is peace. And if you have your Bibles, I want to dig into that a little bit this morning. Uh, open to Mark chapter 4. I'm actually going to start in Mark chapter 1. As with everything we read in scripture, it's important to put it in context. Uh, our scripture writers, our gospel writers are really smart people. And so the way that they position stories is to prove a point. And all three of our synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, account for Jesus calming a storm. Synoptic means same lens. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write similar accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, Mark, though, is actually our first gospel written, the first one written ever. Uh, I know our New Testament starts with Matthew, but Mark was actually first. And Mark is just really getting to the point. Mark's gospel is like, let me tell you about Jesus without skipping a beat, and we're going to wham, bam, I'm going to show you who he is. Mark doesn't even begin his gospel with Jesus' birth. Like, Jesus is already on the scene when Mark starts writing his gospel. And so in Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist is pointing to this Messiah. John the Baptist, he's baptizing people, and he says, someone's coming that's way better than I am. So he's already setting the stage for this Messiah, this King Jesus who's coming. Jesus, in Mark 1, starts healing people. He heals um, a man with leprosy. He... This title says, he heals many people in my Bible. Like, this is just what he's doing. Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. He's teaching all of these things about fasting and Sabbath. Like, he's redefining Jewish law. He's doing really big things. In Mark chapter 3, again, Jesus is healing. Crowds are now following him. He's a big darn deal. And by the time we get to Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching. He's teaching in parables. These are stories where Jesus is using everyday things familiar to his audience to prove a deeper point. Uh, the titles in my Bible of Mark 4 are Parable of the Farmer Scattering Seed, Parable of the Lamp, Parable of the Growing Seed, Parable of the Mustard Seed. And overall, Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God. Listen to this and see if you hear a theme. Mark 4 verse 11, he replied, You are permitted to understand the kingdom of God. Mark 4 26. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Mark 4.30, Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? Do you think Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God? I think he is. And it is nestled right within all of these stories, within all of this power that Jesus is displaying, that Jesus calms a storm. And it's not a parable of Jesus calming the storm. It's an event. Jesus literally does this as recorded by Matthew Mark and Luke. I'm going to pick up in Mark 4, verse 35. 
As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, let's just pause a minute. Have you ever been on a boat in a fierce storm where high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water? I have. Okay, not that severely, but like, let me just tell you a fishing story. Now, let me preface with this with, at the end of last service, a lovely gentleman na named Dan came up to me and was like, I have a storm story for you. He was in the Navy, and he told me about 90-foot waves on a boat in a sea, uh, it was uh, by Norway, like super north, and 90-foot waves, it was an aircraft carrier boat in which the, poor Dan, I wish he was here to, to tell me this, to tell you all this, but the actual, like, where the aircrafts were chained to the boat was 60 feet high, and these waves were 90 feet high, and they washed the aircrafts off the boat. Anyway, my story does not compare to Dan's boat story, uh, but this is an Ashley storm story. Okay, my family loves, loves fishing. We are big fisher people. Now, I'm a fair weather fisherwoman. Yeah, here's why. I am not a patient person, and if you enjoy fishing, you kind of have to be patient because you don't catch fish all the time. But in nice weather, if I'm not catching fish, it's really not a problem because I get to tan, I can read a book, I'm actually not there for fishing, I'm there for the weather. But last winter, not uh, 2020, 20, not 2021, but in 2020, my husband looked at me and said, let's go fishing. And I was like, but it's winter time and I'm a fair weather fisher person. And he said, it'll be fun, you catch walleye or something this time of year. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So we went in December to Northern Minnesota yeah, we drove north. Uh, we went to a lake called Millac. If you're a fisher person, maybe you know what that is. Um, and we pulled my parents' fishing boat. It's not like a massive fishing boat, but it's no dinghy either, okay? So, you know, it's like a normal fishing boat. And we get to this lake in northern Minnesota. By the way, it looks like it's going to storm. We checked into our cabin, and the woman goes, oh, it's looking cloudy out there. Probably going to storm this afternoon. And I thought, I'm not fishing in this. And Tyler's like, let's go fishing. And I thought, oh, honey. I was like, okay. But even the lady who lives here just told us it's about to storm. Anywho, we settle in our cabin. I put on like 100 layers of clothes. And we start pulling into public boat ramps around this lake. And it is so windy. Number one, you can see white caps, right? Like big white caps. And it's so windy, we can't get the boat in. Like we're being pushed up the ramps on the side of the lake that we're on that we're on. So a normal person would say, yeah, maybe not a good day to fish. My husband, who's like, we just drove all the way up here, says, let's drive around the lake. We'll put the boat in on the other side of the lake. Great, honey. Okay. So we drive around the lake. We get the boat in and not 300 feet um, off of the boat ramp. We are like rocking back and forth. And I'm a motion sick person. And this is a big reason why I'm also a fair weather fisherwoman. So I'm like, you're taking me back. There is no way I'm going to try to fish in this. And waves are not actually filling the boat, but like we're close to that. Like, like we're rocking enough that we're going to, at least in my mind, we're going to start to fill with water. So I'm like, you're taking me back. So he takes me back, and that's my fishing story. It actually did snow like massive amounts the day after that, and then we drove home in a snowstorm. Anyway, and we caught, we caught no fish. <laughs> not one. Not one. And most of the time, I huddled next to like the little space heater thing in Majigger. Mr. Heater, that's what it's called. I huddled next to that, and I didn't even have a pole in the water because my hands were too cold. Anywho, this is why I'm a fair weather fisher person. But here's my point. 
There is no way on my tiredest day, like when you have a newborn and you only sleep like two hours at a time, there's no way I could have slept on that boat. And it wasn't even actually raining or anything. And it wasn't actually filling with water. But there's no way I could have slept on that boat. And what is Jesus doing in the middle of a storm that is filling with water? Certainly it must have been raining, right? So he's getting wet. He's not on a yacht. He's not sleeping in a bedroom underneath this boat. He's sleeping at the back of the boat. And thank you, gospel writer Mark, for the detail with his head on a cushion. If you're on this boat with Jesus, you too are saying, teacher, don't you care? We're about to drown. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? So when Jesus wakes up, as we continue reading, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? What a comment. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? If you're the disciples, you're thinking, but like our boat was filling with water and you were asleep. What do you mean, why am I afraid? What do you mean, you of little faith? Jesus has just done a ton of work, pointing people to the kingdom of God. He has been healing people. He's been redefining Jewish teachings. He just told three parables, literally, about the kingdom of God. Jesus has put in all this work showing these crowds, showing his friends who he is, that he is Messiah, Savior of the world. And all it took was one storm for them to forget his power. All it took was one storm for them to be afraid, for them to forget who's sleeping in this boat with them. Jesus is literally peace in their boat. He is the embodiment of peace. He's sleeping through a storm. And his disciples are afraid. I'm wondering what storm in your life does Jesus seem to be sleeping through? What storm in your life does Jesus seem to be sleeping through? There's a couple things I've learned is that even when we perceive a sleeping Jesus, he is still present and he is still powerful. Even when we perceive a sleeping Jesus, he is still present and he is still, is still powerful. The most powerful, in fact, that the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus is sleeping on your boat, or maybe he's wide awake on your boat, but he's present and he is so powerful that he is ready to step into any storm in your life and say, silence, be still. Silence, be still. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, why did you wake me from my nap? Jesus isn't mad at them for waking him up. What he says is, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? seems to me that fear is the enemy of peace. Jesus calls out their fear. Fear was stealing the peace that they could have had. They were on a boat with the Savior of the world. Jesus was physically present, and he's been showing them his power. But their fear stole that peace right out from under them. Fear is the enemy of peace. Fear does not come from God. He does not want us to be fearful. 
I would argue that every war in history has started because of some kind of fear. Fear of an idea, fear of people who are different, fear of technology or weapons or you name it. Fear is the enemy of peace. I hesitate to even bring this up, but because we're with the times. Last Sunday, I, was, uh, I wasn't watching the Oscars, but it happened on last Sunday night, and I heard about this on Monday because it was all over every news outlet everywhere. Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, like very publicly. And no matter where you land on that, like what you think about that whole situation, this is a really interesting social psychology phenomenon. Uh, but whether you think, yes, he should have done that in defending his wife, no, you never hit someone, wherever you fall on that, let me just ask you, do you think Will Smith was feeling peace before he did that? Do you think he was feeling peace after he did that? I think he was feeling fear. Fear is the enemy of peace. All week as I was preparing uh, this message, I was asking people around me, tell me about a time that you've experienced transformative peace, like really powerful peace. That was my question. That's all I said. Tell me about a time when you've experienced transformative peace. Without missing a beat, almost every single person told me about a storm. Almost every person in their moment of transcendent peace told me it was in the middle of a storm. Here are some examples. Uh, someone told me when the moment she found out her husband was cheating on her, she didn't know what to do. She went to her mother's house and in the middle of the biggest storm of her life, she said it felt like warm oil from head to toe. I just knew. I knew what to do. Another person told me about bullying in high school that was so severe. She was switching high schools and moving towns. And in that move, rather than being worried about her new high school or about bullying again, she just knew it was going to be okay. It's unexplainable. Why would you feel that way? For myself, it was almost exactly one year ago that I stood up here and shared with you uh, my mom's cancer journey. I had just got done, she was having chemotherapy treatments on Thursdays and I had just got done sitting with, sitting with her at one of those treatments. And it's in the middle of my mom's cancer journey that I can tell you, just a radical peace, unexplainable. My mom was diagnosed with uh, stage three triple negative breast cancer. It's been almost a year, just over a year actually. And don't Google that, it's not good. I've never Googled it, by the way. I just know it's that not good. But that's the kind of peace that my whole family had about that situation. It's like, I don't really care what the statistics are because my God's more powerful than statistics. When I asked my mom about this question, I said, when have you experienced peace? She said the same thing in the middle of her cancer journey. And you know what she said? She said, I knew it was going to be okay. Not that I was going to be okay, but that it was going to be okay. It's a peace that passes understanding. And it shows up right in the middle of every storm in your life if we're looking for it. The common theme in these stories is, yes, it happened in the middle of a storm, but also all of these people weren't afraid. There wasn't room for their fear. The only thing they could do was surrender. The only thing they could do was to step back and say, God, I can't handle this on my own. I need you to take it. And they allowed space for Jesus to walk into the middle of that storm and say, shh, be still. I'm present and I'm powerful and I will give you a peace in this storm that is unfathomable. You can't explain it. It's just there. And that's what Jesus wants for you. 
every storm in your life, the internal ones, the external ones, the relational ones, the ones in the world. He wants to walk into the middle of them and say, silence, be still, I've got this. The uh, Hebrew word, so Old Testament's written in Hebrew, that word for peace is shalom. The Greek word, which is what the New Testament's written in, is erene, that, that's the word for peace. The Latin word for peace is pax. Uh, you're like, Ashley, why are you teaching us about Latin? Latin was the first translation of the Bible. It's called the Vulgate. It was translated in 382 by a guy named Jerome. It was the only translation of the Bible until like the 1500s. So for 1,200 years, there was Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Um, this is my son, Paxton, and he was named because the Latin word for peace is Pax. God's kind of cool. Honestly, I did not look at the preaching schedule until I was back from maternity leave, uh, so I didn't know I was preaching on peace until after I had named him for peace. We didn't actually have his name picked out until after he was born. He was named two days after he was born. Uh, this was one of the names that we really liked, but throughout my whole pregnancy, uh, there were a couple Bible verses that I just prayed over him. They just really stuck in my head. One of them is Matthew 5, 9. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The other verse that I just kept praying over this baby was uh, the Lord's blessing from Numbers. Uh, I try to pray it over our baptism kids when I do baptisms. It's written on the wall above our reservoir in the new edition. It's the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you peace. This is Paxton on uh, his baptism day last weekend, which if you were at this service, you know he cried the whole time during his baptism. Yeah, leave it, <laughs> leave it to my kid to cry during his baptism. Um, but peace is a really, really powerful thing. And I'm not talking about the moments here and there. I'm talking about a peace that you can't really explain. It shows up in the middle of a storm. There's a really rich theology to peace, and I'm going to let the Bible Project explain that to you. Take a look. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations, and when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. 
The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Peace restores. It means making whole or complete. That's the kind of peace that Jesus has for your storms. To not just get you through them, but to make you whole and complete and restore you in them. It's no accident that we talk about peace leading up to Easter, leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. It's in John chapter 14, just before Jesus goes to the cross to be crucified, that he says to his disciples, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. In the most turbulent time of his life, Jesus knew where he was going. He knew he was going to die a horrific death. He looks at his friends and he says, I'm leaving you with peace. I'm leaving you with peace. And there's that contrast again with fear. So don't be troubled or afraid. The world will tell you to fear. There's a lot of things to fear. And God says, I am so much more powerful than that. And I'm present. I'm there in the middle of your storm and he's waiting to say, silence, be still. I'm going to use this to restore, to heal, to make full, to help you grow deeper and walk with me. And you say, that sounds great, Ashley, but like, how do we actually do that? How do we actually find this peace or experience this peace? Well, first and foremost, you can hang out with Jesus. Be in his presence Paul writes in Philippians, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
It seems super cliche for a pastor to be like, pray, but seriously, you should pray. Yeah, it's that important. It's how we hang out with God. I often hear people say, I don't know how to pray. I'm not sure I'm doing it right. I don't have time. Here's the deal. There's no wrong way to pray. If you've ever talked to someone, you know how to pray. You talk to God, whether that's in your head, whether it's out loud, whether it's by yourself in your car, in a room at home, over your morning coffee, or with a whole group of people, you know how to pray. But we want to equip you to feel confident in that. Coming up after Easter, we have a class called Let Prayer Change Your Life. It's six weeks. It's an hour and 15 minutes. If you want to invest in your prayer life, if you care about spending time with God and you think, I would like to grow in that, make this a priority. Six weeks. You come six times for an hour and 15 minutes. We're not going to tell you how to pray. We're just going to give you a framework to help structure your prayer life. And you can pick and choose what works for you and what doesn't. But it's only here to help you. Because hanging out with Jesus, being in his presence, is how we experience peace. It's in Matthew 11 that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And this is the message translation. But this is what it looks like to hang out with Jesus. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound peaceful? Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How do you find peace? You hang out with God. Number two, how do we experience peace? We embrace the storms. And this is the hard one. There's always a hard one. You embrace the storms. And it sounds backward. It sounds silly. Peter Scazzaro writes a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in it he says, Turning toward our pain is counterintuitive. But in fact, the heart of Christianity is that the way to life is through death. The pathway to resurrection is through crucifixion. Of course, it preaches easier than it lives. It's hard. It does preach easier than it lives. But we have to embrace the storms. Can you imagine if every time you were ever in church or were reading the Bible and you came upon the word crucifixion, you were like, oh no, Jesus is going to die. You closed your Bible or you got up and you walked out of church. Every time in your whole life you heard crucifixion and you were like, nope, I'm out. That's, that's too dangerous. That's too scary. No thanks. You would never know that Jesus defeated death, that he rose three days later, that there was a crucifixion. And if every time in your life you get to a storm and you toss up your hands and say, not having it today, I'm not dealing. I don't want to grow. I don't want to, this is too much. I'm too scared. I'm just not going to acknowledge it. You would never know the life on the other side of that. And the way that we get through storms is by hanging out with God, is by letting him be the peace that breaks into the storms. He has life for you on the other side of every single storm in your life. And in the meantime, he's going to grow you so much deeper with him. Asking what ifs in our storms got no one anywhere. It allows fear to creep in. Jesus says, let me take control. I'm present and I'm powerful. Number three, how do we experience peace? How do we find peace? 
we hang out in community. I was in a pastor's meeting this week. Um, where we have a pastor's Bible study weekly with the Hope Pastors, and it was me, uh, Pastor Ben, and Pastor Andy. Both Ben and Andy are preaching the same message in West Des Moines this weekend. And so we were like, hey, what are you going to talk about? Like, let's talk, let's talk about peace. How are you feeling about that? All three of us agreed we're not really experiencing peace, and it's funny how you preach on things that you yourself need help with. But Pastor Merv was also in that meeting, and Pastor Merv is like wisdom embodied for all of us hope pastors. Merv uh, pastors his own church in northern Minneapolis, um, but is on staff here at Hope to consult and be a teaching pastor. And Merv, as we were talking about peace, said, I think there's something about community that's really important. And we were like, yeah, that's good, Merv. Tell us more. But being community, it's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible that Jesus didn't do this stuff on his own. His disciples didn't disciple on their own. They were in community all the time. Colossians says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. We, church, represent peace on earth. We are one body united in Christ. That's a core value here at Hope. We are one body united in Christ. His peace dwells in and among us. And so when you hit a storm, you don't have to do it on your own. Jesus is there, but you also have an entire unified body of the church that will walk with you in that. And we can point each other to Jesus. We can embrace the suffering together. Romans 5.3, it's one of my mom's favorite Bible verses. This was pre her cancer journey. It's always been one of her favorite Bible verses. Romans 5.3 says, Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. It starts with suffering. And on the other side of that is life, resurrection. And we get to know Jesus so much deeper in that. And we can do it together. One of the ways that we tangibly are united in Christ is through communion. When we come to the Lord's table, we say we're at peace with one another. We do this in peace. We do this as a united body. And um, if I had a loaf of bread, you would see often at communion, you see a pastor break a loaf of bread. It's representative of this one body that's broken into many different parts. We just have wafers, so we'll hand you a wafer. But we are one body. When you come to receive this meal, that peace is yours. That peace dwells in this place. It's a very reverent and holy thing. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Christ himself brought peace to us. You do not have to go find it. It's already here for you. And in the cross, on the cross, Jesus united all of us. When we don't live in this peace, when we live in fear, we totally negate everything Jesus did for us on the cross. And Jesus says, I have so much more in store for you. Be united. Feel whole and complete. Be restored. Because I'm here and I'm powerful. It was on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was eating with his disciples. Can you imagine that? You know you're about to go to the cross. You know you're being betrayed by a friend. And Jesus had peace. He took the bread during that meal. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. 
eat this and remember me when you eat it. Later in the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this and remember me when you drink it. Let's pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll now invite our communion servers and ushers forward. You'll be dismissed by an usher and um, you'll come up, they'll hand you a wafer of bread and they'll hand you a little cup of juice. You can eat and drink those things. We have an allergy-free station right here in the middle. If you're wondering, am I welcome at the table? Is this for me? The answer is yes. Jesus died and defeated death so that you could be united, so that you could feel whole and complete and restored as one body in Christ. His grace and his peace is present. It's here, and he's ready for you to receive it. All is prepared. Let's eat. <laughs>